Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers that we launched during this work from home period. And what we're trying to do on the SALT Talks is replicate the experience that we provide at our global conferences, the SALT Conference, which we host twice a year in a normal environment, once in the United States and once internationally, most recently in Abu Dhabi in 2019. We're looking forward to getting back to a normal event calendar, hopefully uh, in the second half of 2021. But what we try to do at our conferences and what we're trying to do on these talks is provide our community a window into the mind of subject matter experts as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're breaking ground today on today's SALT talk. It'll be a first for us here at SALT. We have an anonymous faceless speaker uh, joining us on SALT talks today. And that anonymous faceless speaker is Plan B. Uh, welcome to SALT talks, Plan B. Plan B is a Dutch institutional investor who goes by the name at 100 trillion USD on Twitter. He has a legal and quantitative finance background, but chooses to remain anonymous in the public sphere. He created the Bitcoin stock to flow model uh, for valuing the price of Bitcoin, where he uses scarcity to quantify what he thinks is Bitcoin's real value. The stock to flow model is not only applicable to Bitcoin, but also to gold, silver, and any other type of asset. A plan B is currently working as an investment manager in a team managing a multi-billion dollar balance sheet. So why does he call himself Plan B? A Plan B refers to an alternative plan for quantitative easing, aka printing money uh, by central banks, negative interest rates, and cur currency debasement in general. 100 trillion USD is a reference to the Zimbabwe 100 trillion US dollar note uh, that came about during the 2008 period of hyperinflation. A reminder, if you have any questions for Plan B during today's SALT talk, except questions about who his real identity is, because he's not going to give that up. He's probably Satoshi and doesn't want to doesn't tell us. But if you have any other questions for Plan B during today's SALT talk, you can enter them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen on Zoom. And hosting, to, hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. Well, Plan B, thanks for joining us. You know, usually I ask people about their backgrounds, but because you like being anonymous, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right into my, uh, my questions about your life and what you're doing now. Uh, John's accusing you of being Satoshi. Uh, who do you think Satoshi is, Plan B? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Anthony. I'm really thrilled to be on your show. Um, let me get that out of the way immediately. I'm not Satoshi. <laughs> um, and I don't wish I were because, yeah, what he did is remarkable. The invention of Bitcoin and the um, invention of digital scarcity. Uh, I don't know who he is or she or they. Nobody knows. And I think the people that know, that, that will keep him anonymous and, and, and not uh, dox him because the anonymity is uh, very important to, uh, to Bitcoin. And, and let, let, let's take that a little further. And so I actually think that he's, he or she or that group has already figured out a way to encrypt uh, the, way, the way Bitcoin is secure. I think that anonymity will stay secure. It's just my personal opinion. 
But let, let's talk about Bitcoin for the neophyte. Let's talk about, wow, I'm reading about Bitcoin. I haven't read the Bitcoin standard. I haven't read articles related to the blockchain or I haven't been to a symposium. But something is going on in Bitcoin where it went to 20,000 and or 19 or so thousand in 2017. It crashed down to earth at 3,000 a few years later. And now it's back in that sort of, you know, let's call it 17 to $20,000 zone, I guess currently at around 18,000. Why should I get involved? Why should I take my intellectual curiosity and be drawn to Bitcoin? Yeah, that, that's simple. Bitcoin is the best performing asset this year, last five year, and last 10 years. And not only on a return-only basis, but also on a risk-adjusted basis. So Bitcoin is a, um, a very um, asymmetrical bet. It has the largest sharp ratio that I have ever seen in my entire 25-year career. So it has a sharp ratio of about 2.5. So return is much higher than its volatility. And I know it has extreme volatility, right? It can go 70 or 80% down in a year. It did that three times last 10 years. So it's extremely volatile. It's not for the, for the weak hands, if we, uh, like we uh, call them, but it has enormous upside as well. And the upside cancels the volatility out. The sharp ratio is very high. So yeah, I, I think the question for investors to ask is not why should I not or why should I be in Bitcoin. It's 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 rather why should I not be in Bitcoin from my perspective. And and is there a reason why someone shouldn't be in Bitcoin, Plan B? No, I don't think there is actually. Um, I've I've heard a lot of reasons. Also within my company, which uh, manages a big. Um, pension balance sheet, a bank balance sheet, and a life insurance balance sheet. And that is the most difficult decision for them to make, of course, because it's other, other, other people's money. We have legislators, uh, regulators, uh, central banks uh, looking over our shoulder. But for a normal investor or, or a fund investor, um, I, don't, I don't think there's any good reason not to invest because the, the volatility is mentioned as a big risk. It is, it is by definition risk. But it's also it's always mentioned as as something that is a reason for not investing in Bitcoin. But we as investors know, of course, that you can manage volatility. You can size your uh, investment. You can, as a matter of fact, if you if you put one percent of your total investment in Bitcoin and ninety nine percent in cash, doing nothing, you put it under the mattress. That particular combination would outperform. Would have outperformed the. Uh, S&P 500 over the last 10 years, not only in return, but also in risk. So that's, yeah. Well, listen, it's very compelling. When did you have your Bitcoin aha moment? So I guess it's a two-part question. When did you discover Bitcoin, start to do your research and analysis on it? And then when did you have your aha moment? Yeah, I like that question because... It, it seems like everybody goes through a sort of process that takes some time. And, and that journey for me started in 2013, early 2013. I read the white paper um, because it was mentioned in, I think, Zero Hatch or some, some, some website. But it, 
Bitcoin was mentioned, the white paper was mentioned, so I read it. And right there, right then was my aha moment because I like the white paper so much. It's a very simple uh, description, nine pages, very elegant, not that mathematical, just in words, what Satoshi did with Bitcoin. Um, and I, I recommend everybody to read the white paper before anything else because it's, it's, it's the source. It leads you to all the other people that are and, and, and articles that are mentioned in that uh, in that white paper, and from there you you start your journey. So I started reading books, listening to podcasts, um, and I, I wasn't I wasn't ready to invest until 2015, 2016. But in 2013, when I first saw it, it was a hundred dollars, and then a couple months later, in in 2013, it was a thousand dollars. So I thought, wow. Okay, I missed it. I'm too late. And that feeling, by the way, never goes away. I, st I still feel I'm too late. But uh, yeah, that, that took me um, to the investing part. Uh, investing decision was mainly driven at that time. So 2015, 16, uh, when I didn't have a, uh, a model yet or hadn't quantified it. But it was mainly driven by the notion of scarcity that the invention that Satoshi Nakamoto did is digital scarcity, which is yeah, sort of an impossible thing, right? Something can be digital, but then it can be copied. So how can it be scarce? How, how does that work? And so, so it's a really a discovery process and it leads into very exotic worlds like cryptography, peer-to-peer -peer networks, um, mining, proof of work, hashing, th those kinds of terms are really, yeah, basic really essential to to get to to learn about but then once you start investing you start um feeling the effect of 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 volatility of course but also of the the enormous uptrend that's that's in the uh, in the asset so the scarcity the 21 million is what uh, what got me in there but um it was not until 2019 that I really had the desire to to have something more more like a a, a fundamental model that that I use in um, in investing professionally as well uh, where I could say a little bit more mathematically about the price and the path for the next uh, couple of years you're you're uh, uh, you're saying something interesting uh, you saying that uh, you're too late but are you too late though or is this the beginning really? Or are we still in the first innings of Bitcoin? Yes, I know 2014 Bitcoin traded at $154 per coin and it's now 18,000. And so that looks late. But when you think about the potential for Bitcoin, are we still in the early innings? We are definitely, we're not late, but it's more the feeling that you're, everybody who goes in has a feeling that he's late. So I, I had that feeling at, at uh, well, around 400, um, because I missed the 100 part. And before me, of course, there were people entering at 10 or 1 or even even below a dollar, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so, of but, course. But yeah, no, we're, we're very early. I think in the uh, adoption uh, terminology, we would be in the innovator stage, not even the early adapter phase. We, there's not even 2.5% invested in, uh, in Bitcoin. So we're very, very early. And that's also what my models uh, show because there's upside... Um, is is uh, is immense and um yeah no it's always scary to to enter you always have the feeling you're late but 
but you're mm-hmm. not. All right. Well, it's a good point. The 21 million, uh, I, I have to confess to you, I have not read the white paper, but I will now go and read the white paper. But is there a reason for that number? Is that number arbitrary? Or I know they were trying to create scarcity, uh, but why did they pick 21 million or does nobody know that answer? Nobody really knows. And I think it is, it could be arbitrary. Uh, I think it is, by the way. So I, no, I, there's no good reason why it shouldn't be any other number. Okay. Your macro view, uh, when you think about price trajectory for Bitcoin over the next five years, what do you think it is and, and why, do you, wh- why are you so bullish? Yeah, my, my macro view is also a quant view because my background is very quantitative. I have to have numbers. Um, that's why I made this, this uh, stock to flow model um, that got me my name. And um, what that model shows, it, it's based on, on scarcity on the 21 million and it compares the scarcity, it quantifies it to gold, real estate, silver, diamonds, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at that trajectory, trajectory what, we, what we had last 10 years and where, where it could go uh, to the levels of gold and real estate, then I expect Bitcoin to do another 10X or 20X. So it will go to well, north of 100,000, maybe north of 300,000 uh, before Christmas next year. And, and that sounds really bullish. That sounds maybe ridiculous to some people. But we've done that three times before. And it's this very asymmetric return. Years of nothing, some big crashes, and then an enormous bull year that I think that will happen next year. Uh, and it's typically after halvings. I know you talked about this before in, in one of the other podcasts, but the, the supply of Bitcoin is halved every four years. And, and, and imagine that the gold mining supply would halve. Um, imagine what that would do to price. And that's, that's what yeah. you said. So, so let's go into it. It's being halved because it's the, it's the stuff is being taken out of supply. It's basically like a Van Gogh. It's not, hasn't, can't be replicated. And so there's a finite supply of it, and it's being taken out of supply, which is increasing price. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. So there's bitcoins are made every uh, 10 minutes in, in a block. Every 10 minutes, all the transactions are, are uh, put together in a block, and the miners make that, make that block, and the miners that um, found the hash that, that make the block valid, they get the new bitcoins. It's sex. 6.25 Bitcoins at the moment, every 10 minutes. And um, that was 12 and a half, four years before that, it was 25. And it started in uh, January, 2009, when, when Satoshi mined the first uh, block with, uh, with 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. So we're now at 6.25 and that will half for the next hundred years. So yeah, supply will be taken out. If you want Bitcoin, you will have to, um, convince somebody else to give it up to sell it to you and of course that that does something with uh, with the price but but fundamentally from a first principle point of view scarce assets are worth more than abundant assets and 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 bitcoin is the first absolute scarce asset you cannot you cannot alter the supply change the supply even when price rises you cannot um, increase the supply because it's mathematically in the protocol. 
And that's, that's, that's very unique because even, even with gold, if there is a lot of demand, if the price rises and gold price goes, let's say, 2x, uh, for sure the mining will increase and, and miners will do everything to, to mine more gold, to print more gold, if you will. But Bitcoin, that cannot happen. You've talked about this stock-to-flow cross-asset model for valuing Bitcoin. You've invented it. Uh, how does that work? Describe it to a layperson. Yeah. So when I read the white paper and later also Safedean's book, The Bitcoin Standard, I think you had him on the show yesterday. Yes. Um, beautiful book, must read. He talks about stock-to-flow as a measure for scarcity. So there you have the two combined. Bitcoin is scarce. How do you measure scarcity? You can do it with stock-to-flow. I knew stock-to-flow um, from the gold community. Gold investors use stock-to-flow to measure the scarcity of gold and silver and platinum, etc. If you, my insight was to, to, to relate that to the market values of gold and Bitcoin and, and diamonds and real estate. So I plotted the uh, stock-to-flow, the scarcity on the y-axis or the x-axis, and the market value of the total market, Bitcoin market, diamond market, real estate market on the y-axis, and also the historical path of Bitcoin. And what you see is that there, uh, there is an almost perfect linear relationship between those assets and between Bitcoin's path towards the scarcity of uh, gold and real estate. So that's very interesting and, and, and mathematically very hard to to deny so yeah it's 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 a relation between scarcity and value and you can uh, exploit that you have uh, some pretty well-known people uh stan Druckenmiller, uh, paul tudor jones bill miller all three are money managers that became billionaires due to their investment acumen and now even ray dalio is starting to warm to crypto we're starting to see Legacy institutions like J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley write positively about Bitcoin. Uh, the career risk factor seems to have faded away from supporting Bitcoin at institutions. But when do you think that fade, if you will, will turn into an asset allocation recommendation for their investors? Obviously, Paul Tudor Jones is already in there. So is uh, Stan Druckenmiller. But when do you and, and Bill Middle, but when do you think that crossover happens and it becomes more mainstream? I think it goes gradually and it has gone gradually out of the uh, last couple of years. Um, it, Bitcoin is a bit exotic, it's new, so, so you can't, well, most people don't know it, but once you see it and once you get it, once you read the white paper, you get what Bitcoin is, then you cannot go back. You. <laughs> Once you've seen, you cannot unsee is what I say. And, that, and especially if you have a quantitative background. So I guess the, uh, especially ha uh, hedge fund guys who are used to spotting um, opportunities and using quantitative analysis and maybe algos to, to trade and invest. Uh, these investor groups are specifically um, um, open to recognizing asymmetric bets like Bitcoin. So they, once they see it, they will go in. It, it's just too yummy not, not to. And uh, yeah, so I think it will grow gradually. Uh, also the gold investors, gold, are, gold investors are of course very much into the Bitcoin vision of sound money. 
uh, scarcity. Uh, the only problem there is that it's it, a lot of older guys that that don't have IT or program programming or, or necessarily quant background. So you you see the gold community divided in two groups: the old ones that want to touch the gold and, and feel it and 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 want to have it physical, and the newer generation that believes in sound money, shares this view with bit with Bitcoin. And, and, and actually understands what, what peer-to-peer is, and uh, elliptic curve encryption, um, and all those things. So, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's how it goes. It's, it, it goes automatically, and it's a momentum that cannot be stopped. You, you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, gold as a store of value, real estate as a store of, of value. Uh, the one slightly different thing about these two. And, and again, gold, I think there are some commercial uses and use in jewelry and real estate. Obviously you can earn rent from real estate or you can get the pleasure of uh, sitting in the home, et cetera. Uh, why do you think Bitcoin uh, will rise to that level? Uh, because it doesn't, and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here for a second because it doesn't have, any of those two components that I just described. So, so why do you, why, why are you still comfortable with it? Yeah, I, I like the question. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, Bitcoin is much more like gold, of course, because it has no cash flow. It's, it's a commodity. It has no cash flow. You cannot use cash flow uh, models to, uh, to value it like real estate with the rent. You can, you can uh, actually value it the classic way. Uh, but what you see. Uh, especially right now and, and, and in the mac- macro environment, with, uh, especially since 2008, um, which, by the way, is no coincidence that the Bitcoin white paper was written in 2008 and uh, published in 2008. That was the height of the global financial crisis, of course. And since 2008, we have seen quantitative easing, massive amounts of money printing, stimulus of well, first to save banks, now with COVID to save the economy. Um, and all that money has to go somewhere. Um, of course, central banks buy uh, bonds, they buy mortgages, and, and interest rates go down, especially here in Europe, where interest rates are uh, negative, even in countries that are, well, close to default or actually already over that line. Um, even if those have negative uh, interest rates. So a lot of people have, and, and also companies, um, hedge funds, but also normal companies, we've, we've seen that recently, have a big problem, what to do with your cash. You, <laughs> there is no yield to be made. And, and we have that too, as, a, as an institutional investor, um, investing pension money. Where is the yield? Where can you earn money? There's not much places. So a lot of people go to real estate, uh, some people go to gold. Um, so I guess a lot of this rise in prices of all these scarce assets, gold, real estate, diamond, silver, Bitcoin, um, also has to do with the quantitative easing, the debasement, the, the printing. Um, you, you can actually see it in the, in, in the, in the models as well. So um, yeah, I, th- I think there is, even in real estate, where, where there's a lot of utility value, of course, because you can live in, the, in a house. Even in real estate, there is a big monetary premium at the moment because 
investors use it to uh, as a store of value. Uh, uh, yeah. for it. And, and you can see it, for, um, for, for example, in Amsterdam right now, there is, I, I won't mention names, but there is huge asset investors, billion, trillion dollar uh, balance sheets that buy everything in Amsterdam, all the houses, just because there's nothing else where you can right. put your money in. Yeah, and, and, uh, and, and to your point, if you're inflating the currency or creating more currency, well, those houses will be worth more in those in those currencies, and so, and there's scarcity to it. Uh, I got a couple of more questions. I'm going to turn it over to John Dorsey, my colleague here, uh, who's got we've got a ton of audience participation today. Uh, but before we go to those questions, just two quick questions: Are you a Bitcoin maximalist, or do you like other digital currencies? Do you think? There are other digital currencies that will rise to the level of Bitcoin or perhaps compete with it, or is that over? Obviously, Michael Saylor was on, and he sort of felt that that was over. Uh, what's your opinion, Plan B? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely a uh, Bitcoin maximalist. I think it's a uh, winner-takes-all game. Uh, and I, I think the, a lot of the confusion there comes from the fact that some people see Bitcoin and other coins as products or companies. And you can have m multiple products and some product will, will win and the other product will lose or multiple companies can coexist uh, together, which is a very logical view. But Bitcoin, in my view, is not a company. It's a protocol. It's more like TCP IP. It's uh, uh, more like uh, Pop IMAP or, or HTTP. It's a protocol. And of course, you can only have one protocol, especially a money, money protocol. It, why? Yeah, in my eyes, it doesn't make sense to have, to still have in, in 2020 and, and beyond uh, multiple currencies like we have today, where it's much, much more efficient to have one monetary protocol, which is Bitcoin. And um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm what they call a maximalist, but uh, <laughs> I don't like the term, by the way. Tell me why. I don't know. It, it, it was invented by... Um, Vitalik Buterin, the uh, inventor of uh, Ethereum coin. And it was like a, um, it was meant in a, in a bad way. Uh, maximalist, it sounds like terrorists. It, it, it doesn't sound very good. So I'm, I'm. All right, well, I'm going to, I'll have to start, I'll have to start, I'll have to start switching my vernacular. I appreciate <laughs> you giving me some of that uh, epidemiology of the uh, name. Uh, no my worry. last question, then I'm going to turn it over to John. Do you think there'll be a Bitcoin ETF in our future? Yeah, we already have one. It's called MicroStrategy. <laughs> right. Yeah, amen. Uh, it, it, yep. It's de facto uh, ETF, right? It's, it's listed mm -hmm. and, um, and it has a, a, a big chunk of Bitcoin in there. Uh, but no, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it, we should have a Bitcoin ETF. It's, it's uh, very strange we don't have one. Uh, and once we get it... I, I, maybe in a couple of years, but they're stalling it. I don't know for what, what reason. So there's all kinds of other products, ET, exchange-traded nodes, exchange-traded uh, commodities, but no exchange-traded fund yet. Uh, I'm sure we'll get there, but maybe it takes some years. To, yeah, for some reason, they don't uh, allow it yet. John, I'm going to let you take over. Uh... You know, I, I love the name. I got to get one of these hats, Plan B. So when this is over, I got to send you my home address. Okay? <laughs> I got to be walking around my town with this hat on so people 
will have to ask me what that means. Uh, I'll get you one. All right. That's a deal. All right. Go ahead, John. I know you got tons of questions. Yep. All right, Plan B. So Anthony referred earlier to the fact that a lot of big names in the investment management industry are now espousing the virtues of Bitcoin and in many cases buying it either in their hedge fund portfolios or in their personal portfolios. How do you think the evolution of the base of asset owners for Bitcoin uh, that now includes so many strong hands, you know, like a Paul Tudor Jones or a Bill Miller or a Stan Druckenmiller, how do you think that affects the way Bitcoin will trade and ultimately uh, could potentially suppress volatility as it uh, experiences its next bull run? Yeah, great question. Two questions, actually. I'll start with how it will progress. Uh, I think it will progress and it has progressed uh, in a way that the, the easier it is for an investor to decide, um, uh, the earlier he goes in. So, so if you're a high net worth individual that can decide about, uh, over your own money, uh, don't need some shareholders or, or um, uh, employees or, or accountants to convince, you just do it with uh, a little bit. You start small and you grow into it. Um, so, and if you have a fund for, for um, uh, participants, you can do it and you can start selling that. And there's people that, that want to go into the fund. If it would be an exchange traded fund, you would have a huge crowd, but look at Grayscale, which is a trust uh, entity, right? It's in trust structure, uh, huge demand, uh, over 10 billion in um, in cryptocurrencies uh, under management, and uh, and and lately you see, for example, um, Michael Saylor's uh, company, MicroStrategy. Micros, uh, I know you had him on your on your show, uh, but he is a listed company. Has of course a lot of accountants, legal uh, questions, um, and, and and shareholders to deal with, and and his board. So he it's very natural that he comes later into the game because he has to convince all those, all those people. The last uh, group of investors that will enter, in my opinion, will be, well, um, like my employer, the, the, the institutional investors that manage bank balance sheets, life insurance balance sheets, and pension balance sheets because they have their regulators, the central banks, uh, that have to um, okay the new type of investment and that will be a long and very um, yeah, tedious uh, process. So yeah, and, and then the second part of your question, what will they do that, uh, what will do that with price? Um, of course, if adoption uh, grows, if adoption uh, increases and demand increases while at the same time <laughs> supply decreases, you know, because of the halvings and the scarcity stock to flow, um, goes up, uh, price will go up. It, it, it has to go. So yeah, very interesting times. You did a recent poll on Twitter about uh, basically crowdsourcing answers on what people think are the biggest risks to Bitcoin. Could you tell us the results of that poll and also what you think personally are the biggest risks to Bitcoin? Yes, I, I like Twitter very much because uh, especially when you have a, a large following, you can very easily gouge the market for, for questions and, and sentiments. Uh, so I did the, um, the poll two days ago. It was answered by more than 13,000 uh, people. And uh, the biggest risk that people see uh, is government ban or, or regulation. Uh, that's 34% of the people think that's the biggest risk to, to Bitcoin. Um, and I, I 
tend to agree because um, governments have have been uh, against Bitcoin and and um, openly, but also uh, trying to uh, especially trying to kill the predecessors of Bitcoin. There were Bitcoin was not the first uh, digital currency; it was uh, the fourth or fifth or even the sixth. All the others were shut down by government because it was not peer to peer or the uh, Inventor was not anonymous, so they just shut them down. Um, and well, look what what they did to Libra from um, Facebook, Facebook's uh, coin. So, uh, in a way, Bitcoin was especially designed for this risk. To it, it's quite impossible to ban or to uh, to kill Bitcoin by a government, because if a government does it, it will just go on in another country. Of course, governments can make it very very difficult with tax laws, with know your customer and anti-money laundering laws. Uh, and, and, and that's what they're, they're doing at the moment. It's a bit, but, but they do that with every invention, every technological uh, improvement, right? When the cars were invented, there was this rule that if you had a car, you also had to employ a person that walked in front of the car with a red flag, because otherwise there would be danger for uh, the pedestrians and the, the cyclists. So, Every new technology brings its own suite of, of uh, stupid uh, regulation, but in the end, that, regu that regulation will improve, be more reasonable, be more um, yeah, just better for, for the general uh, uh, population. And, and, and also countries will, of course, be different than that. There will be countries that, that want to be the next uh, Silicon Valley, Crypto Valley, if you will. Singapore right. is there, Switzerland is there, et cetera, et cetera. And there's companies that, that are less, um, yeah, uh, th th that don't have much with uh, protecting property rights. Uh, it's more the socialist countries. They will, yeah, they will have more problems with this. As a quick follow-up to that, uh, one of our viewers is asking, and they're saying that in the past, gold has been made illegal to hold by the public in that type of scenario where a country comes out and says it's illegal for our citizens to own Bitcoin, obviously there's going to be plenty of citizens that do own it. Have you studied what a similar uh, outcome would be if people declared it illegal to hold Bitcoin uh, if we went through a period of legal prohibition? Yes. Um, yeah. So, so the, the United States made it uh, illegal for, uh, for U.S. citizens to, uh, to have gold. Um, that was, I think, in uh, 1933 just before they uh, uh, did the Bretton Woods and, and, and gold was, of, of course, increased in price a lot. So, uh, yeah, normally what you see if something is, uh, is forbidden, is made illegal, illegal uh, there'll be black markets um, and, and the price of it will, uh, will go up. Uh, so it's much better to legalize, legalize it. You see it with, with uh, other, uh, other things as well. It's much better to legalize it, to control it, to, to, to take a little bit of tax and, and profit from it than to, to make it illegal because it will, it will transform into something you don't want as a government. It will be stronger because of the, 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 the ban. And, uh, and of course, if you ban it as a company, uh, then the, the businesses will go away. The, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way, you, you see that in the, the Netherlands at the moment. They're making it very... So there is a, a legal guy, head of finance at the moment in the Netherlands, and um, he has no technical background. So he, he doesn't really get Bitcoin, and, and he's 
completely into anti-money laundering and know your customer. That's his thing. So he has made that so strict. I think it's the strictest in the world uh, where you have to even make a copy of your wallet. So your, your, your own wallet uh, where you want to receive the Bitcoin. What that means is all the companies that, that are in a country go away. Uh, for example, Deribit, the biggest option in exchange, and that, uh, that's a Dutch company, moved to Panama with all the profit, with all the uh, employment. So there will be a very interesting game, theoretical game there uh, of countries that ban it and others that welcome it. And that's how the new world will be shaped. So you talked about how MicroStrategy is effectively now a Bitcoin ETF, and they're sort of a pioneer in terms of taking corporate treasury money and investing it into Bitcoin as an alternative to cash or other uh, corporate treasury type of investments. Do you expect to see other uh, corporates follow suit? I think about all these countries in the, in the United States, for example, that have uh, millions upon hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in cash on, on their balance sheets that are domiciled in foreign countries. Uh, that, that aren't really accomplishing much for the firm. Do you expect to see those types of companies, especially uh, in the tech arena where I think Bitcoin has a little bit higher adoption rate? Do you expect to see more of those companies start to follow suit? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think we're seeing it already. Uh, and it's even easier for non-listed companies. So if you're a private company, um, you, you can put your, your excess cash in, in Bitcoin or whatever asset you like uh, without dealing too much with, with uh, all the things a listed company has to deal with. Uh, so, but even listed companies now that Michael Saylor shows the way uh, that it can be done. Um, you talk about I, career risk, you know, people were scared to be the first mover, but now somebody's done it effectively and it's, it's yeah. reduced some of the stigma around it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, micro, micro strategy is, is a small company, right? It was, it was before they, they uh, invested in Bitcoin, it was 1.5 billion dollar market cap um i don't know what it is today it will be much higher but um that's small compared to the uh the real cash uh, cash rich companies that that you mentioned as well google apple facebook etc so yeah they all we all have to put the same problem what to do with your money in a, an environment that money is debased basically by quantitative right. easing so yeah we have two questions that came in within a minute of each other and i'll combine them uh, from jj and from josephine and they're asking, are you fully convinced that Bitcoin supply is indeed capped at 21 million? And what stops Bitcoin's core developers, the miners, the node validators from all agreeing to increase uh, the circulated supply of Bitcoin? Uh, they're questioning whether in Satoshi's white paper, it explicitly says that the Bitcoin supply is immutable. Yes, I'm actually glad that question is uh, asked because it, it, it's still out there. Um, let me first say you can only ask that question if you don't get Bitcoin yet. If 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 you have not read the right the, the white paper or did not fully understand the white paper, because uh, it's it's an essential thing of Bitcoin that it cannot be increased uh, unless everybody agrees with it. But changing the monetary parameters of Bitcoin protocol, um, the twenty one million, is technically technically very easy you can just copy the code right it's on github it's it's open source like linux and, and all the other open source software so it's very easy to to copy the software and change the parameter from 21 million to 42 or whatever number but you cannot 
copy the network around it. So the miners, the users, the node operators, the developers, the investors, all the exchanges. So in other words, if you, cha if you copy the code, change that number or make a totally a, 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 an entirely new uh, Bitcoin, if you do that, you, it, that would be like, like changing the rules of chess. Uh, you can do it, but you would be playing alone. Right. Talk about quantum computing, if you will, for a second. We asked Rao Pal, uh, who you may know, and, and we had on Assault Talk a few months ago about, in his view, what are the real legitimate threats to Bitcoin? And he mentioned quantum computing. Um, is that a risk in your mind? And what are Bitcoin developers and the Bitcoin network doing to create quantum computing, uh, basically firewalls uh, that could potentially disrupt the network? Yeah, quantum computing was mentioned as the second risk in that poll we talked about earlier. 21% of the people uh, think that is a big risk after government uh, banning. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on quantum uh, computing. Uh, I know what it is. I read a lot of papers about it, so I have some view. My view is that, first of all, we're not there yet. So uh, most papers quote a time range of 2025 to 2035 for the first uh, quantum computer to do something um, <laughs> that is that is that is useful uh, some small thing let alone cracking the uh, the uh, private keys that that are used in Bitcoin and, and a lot of other uh, security uh, applications of course so yeah I, I think it's but but the risk is there of course a lot of teams trying to build a quantum computer. We saw a lot of news lately about Chinese uh, scientists that have made a breakthrough in quantum computing. Actually, I talked to um, uh, some guys that own companies um, that uh, make quantum computers uh, to get a better understanding of this. And I talked to the cryptographers that are very close to uh, Bitcoin core development um, about what the risks are. And, uh, and what I see is two worlds. It's it's the world of the investors in those companies that make uh, quantum computing, and the, and the researchers that are very bullish, that are very optimistic. They they'll be able to do it one day. Uh, and there's the uh, crypt cryptographic guys, especially the Bitcoin guys, that say, okay, it's 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 far away. And even if they can do it, then uh, there are all sorts of other things that that they'll crack first, because all the banking systems will crack before. Bitcoin, because their, right. their, their security is, is much lower than Bitcoin. Yeah, there are a lot of issues that will arise if we reach, you know, full quantum computing capability yeah. from a national security or a global uh, you know, anti-proliferation standpoint as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so, and, and even that, right, it, if it's there, you can change the, uh, uh, the algorithm. You could go to stronger encryption. It's already... Right military style military uh, great uh, strong but but you can make it even stronger well elon musk will have us living on mars by then so i'm not i'm not quite as concerned um well, how would we'll you react living to on mars with the martians you know that right because we the israeli scientists said that there are uh, aliens living there already yeah i'll tell you a story plan b <laughs> anthony you know he goes to work in the government he only was there for 11 days but on the first day what do you think anthony scaramucci did when he got in government he wanted to find out about the aliens. <laughs> of course. And there's, there's nothing there. So does that tell you that there's well, no aliens or that there that's, are? 
Plan B, that's confidential, okay? Don't listen <laughs> yeah, to yeah, this yeah, nonsense, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay? Don't listen to this nonsense. All right, so thank you so much for joining us. You're terrific. Uh, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to spend time with you. I'm going to take you up. Uh, I'm going to come with a Plan A hat. I'm going to meet you at an Amsterdam restaurant with your Plan B hat. This way I know who you are. You wear the Plan B hat. I'll be able to identify it. And we'll have dinner one night. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much for joining us, Plan B. Terrific. Terrific.